church. Thanks for uh, joining us here tonight. Um, don't adjust your TVs. Jackie didn't lose all his hair or get 15 years younger and better looking. Um, he's out of town, so uh, you, you're stuck with me tonight. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Levi. Uh, work here at the church. Servant of the Lord, do as uh, the Lord wants and the Lord wills, and and tonight uh, that task is to uh, be with you tonight to uh, go over the book of Jonah. Um, we won't be in Jeremiah tonight. I was speaking with Pastor Jackie before he left, and I happened to be doing a study with another brother on, on this book, and I told him I'd like to, to do Jonah, and he said, well, thank you. Um, he wanted to do Jeremiah 18. He just didn't want to f- tell me that. So uh, so we'll be in the book of Jonah tonight. I know um, we've dis- discussed this book many times, and, and it's not just about a man being swallowed by a fish. There's so many other things that, uh, that go into this story. And so um, it's not a fictional book. It is a factual book. A lot of... There's some scholars and other people who think just because it talks about a, a man being swallowed by a fish that it must be fiction, but it's not. Uh, if you look at 2 Kings 14.25, it mentions Jonah as learn, living during the time of Jeroboam II. And Jesus also quoted and referenced Jonah as a historical person. If you look in Matthew 12.39-41, it says... An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nivea will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So unlike other prophetic books, uh, Jonah's, Jonah focuses on the prophet himself, whereas in the other prophetic books, it focuses on the message. And uh, when Jesus sent Jonah to Nivea, he rebelled. He had a bad attitude, and he, he rebelled. He was swallowed by a fish. He repented, and then he fulfilled his mission after all. When Nineveh repented, the reason for Jonah's rebellion became clear. He had feared that God would forgive the Ninevites, and when God did forgive them, Jonah resented it. The book lists no author, but only Jonah himself could have known all the facts in this record. And so one of the things I like to do when I prepare for a study is to do the who, what, when, where, when, why. And to start with is the who. Who wrote the book? And we just, you know, Jonah wrote the book. That's what many of the scholars agree on because Jonah is the only one that knows these details. Who is he talking to? He's talking to believers. Um, And what's going on? Well, in this first chapter, Jonah's running from God. And so let's begin in chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, 
for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the ship to lighten it from them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And then they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid of him. What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is better for me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the Lord, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we do just thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord. I just thank you for this privilege to teach your word here tonight, Lord God. I just pray for all those viewing at home and those that are here, Lord. I just pray that you uh, open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds, Lord, that your word would penetrate into us, Lord, and that we would be doers and not only hearers, Lord God. I ask that you will remove me uh, from this place tonight, Lord God, and just use me as your vessel. May your words uh, be heard tonight, Lord God, and may your message be spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Jonah got a simple message. It wasn't an easy message, but it was a simple message. God calls to Jonah. Right Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness had come up before me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. What is the word of the Lord? Who is the word of the Lord? 
we look, look in John 1.1, 1, 1, it tells us, in the beginning was the Word, the, the Word was with God, the Word was God. So the Word of the Lord is Jesus. And so Jesus came up, came to Jonah and said, Arise, go to Nineveh, cry out against it. So God spoke to Jonah in his own unique and powerful way and told Jonah to do two things, right? To go. Go, Jonah. Second thing was cry out against it, which means rebuke them for their sins and call them to repentance. It's a simple message, but it's not an easy one to obtain, right? Go, tell them to repent. Go to Nineveh. Well, what is Nineveh? Who lived in Nineveh? What's going on at Nineveh during this time? The city of Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It was a great city, prominent in its day. A lot of historians said it was one of the biggest cities at this time. Um, it wasn't an Israel city. It was a, a pagan uh, Gentile city. And Jonah was called to go there to repent, tell them to repent. Why? Because their wickedness had come up before him, before me, before the Lord. Right? The Lord was telling Jonah, it's time for them to repent. The time is now. Why did God want Jonah to go? Because God saw their wickedness. None of men's wickedness is hidden before God. Right? We can do whatever we want to try to hide our sin, try to hide from the Lord, but the Lord sees it all. Right? He sees it all, and it may come to a point where it demands the specific warning and judgment of God. So Jonah attempts to flee from God's call. Jonah didn't have a conversation with the Lord. He didn't have a disagreement with the Lord. He just decided to do the total opposite of what the Lord asked him to do. Most prophets at least complained a little. At least that's what I usually do when I'm told to to do something. First I'll complain a little and then I'll just do it. But uh, Jonah didn't even complain. He didn't argue. There was no discussion. He just did the total opposite of what the Lord asked him to do. And uh, Jonah was a prophet. <coughs> Jonah knew the Lord. He knew the Lord's word. And he had been used by the Lord. For so, so for Jonah just to get up and do the total opposite, something else had to be going on. So Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish and flee the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah gets a call in his life. The Lord tells him, I want you to go. I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to tell the people to repent. What does Jonah do? Jonah does the total opposite. Okay, he goes down to Joppa, which is the port city, and he gets on a ship for Tarshish. Why does he go to Tarshish? Well, because Tarshish is the furthest place away from Nineveh that he could possibly go at that time. The fastest way to get there was by sea. So for Jonah, he wanted to get away from the Lord and as fast as he could. But as we all know, we can't run from the Lord. We can't hide from the Lord. We can turn our back on the Lord, but the Lord's still there. 
right? The Lord's going to see us. The Lord loves us, loves each and every one of us. No matter how far away we stray, no matter how far we go, no matter which direction we tend to flee, the Lord is always with us and the Lord always wants us. Now, why did Jonah want to go, didn't want to go to Nineveh? Why didn't he want to go to Nineveh? And why didn't he want to do what the Lord told him to do? Well, again, it's a simple message, but it's very, it was a hard, a difficult job to do. If we read in Nahum, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 and 4, it gives us an idea of just how wicked the people of Nineveh were. They were Assyrian people. They were um, very good warriors. They were enemies of the Jewish people in Israel. And um, Jonah didn't want God to forgive them of their sins. God, Jonah didn't want God to give them repentance. Jonah wanted God to place judgment on them, not forgiveness. And so the Ninevites, they were wicked people. Some of the things they would do is they would stick people, their enemies, on poles while they were still alive and just watch gravity bring them down. That's just some of the cruelty they would do. Um, They're very strong warriors. They're a very strong group of people um, that didn't believe in God. They had their own pagan gods that they worshipped. So Jonah was afraid for sure and probably thought he'd be killed. It'd be something close to a Jewish man in New York City during World War II being told to go to Nazi Germany and tell the Nazis to repent. That's about the same type of message that Jonah was told to do by going to Nineveh. Um, And as you can tell, there wasn't a whole lot of people willing to go to Nazi Germany and, and tell them to repent. Because what would happen to them? They'd be killed, right? And that's what Jonah feared. Jonah feared death. And worst, worst case scenario, he would die. Best case scenario, the people would listen to Jonah and they would repent and God would free them from their judgment. So um, as we go on, it's easy to uh, discuss and, and realize why Jonah didn't want to go. Um, and not doing what God told him to do. But what is our reason? right? God told Jonah to go and to preach. God has also told every Christian the same command. If we look in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, it tells us, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's the command that God gives us. Um, And we even have Jonah as an example before us. Um, And I think we have less reason than Jonah for our disobedience. So I just want to, you know, encourage you guys. As we talk about Jonah tonight, I think we all have a little Jonah in us, right? A little bit of disobedience to what the Lord calls us to do. A little bit of hesitation, a little bit of fear. Um, And as as we continue, um, I think we'll see that more and more. And so Jonah, he chose to flee to Tarshish. Why did Jonah choose Tarshish as his destination? Like I said, because it was the city at that time to be thought to be the end of the earth. 
So at that time, Tarshish is on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea. And at that time, they thought that was where the earth stopped. So literally, the furthest away that Jonah could go is where he wanted to go. He wanted to get away from the Lord. He did not want to accept this, uh, this mission that the Lord had before him. And uh, we've got a map up. I don't know if... I think we got the split screen working. Uh, perfect. And it just goes to show you, you know, Joppa right there, that's where he left. If you go up just a little bit up the coast, that's where, and inward just a little bit, that's where Jerusalem was. That's where uh, Jonah started. And uh, as it says in Scripture, he went down. He went down to Joppa. He went down to the ship. And just like us, just like today in our walk, we have two choices. We can go down into the world or we can go up to Jesus, right? And as we continue in Scripture, we'll continue to point out that Jonah continues to go down. He continues to go away from Jesus. We have two choices in our life. We can continue to follow Jesus or not follow Jesus. Those are the only two options we have. We can either go down or we can go up. There is no in-between. Uh, Pastor Jackie once said, "It's you can, you're either living or you're dying. Right? You're either living for the Lord or you're dying. And so uh, you make your own choice. So Nineveh was, his east, Nineveh was to the east of Israel, and Tarshish was about as far as you could go west, on the coast of what is today Spain, past the Strait of Gibraltar. In heading for Tarshish, Jonah intended to get as far away from Nineveh and the calling of the Lord to go there as, go as far as he could. So uh, Jonah found a ship going to Tarshish. We don't doubt that Jonah felt like going to Tarshish. There was an impulse within him driving him there. Right? Usually when we make bad decisions, there's some type of impulse that leads us. And Jonah had that same impulse. But it was a dangerous impulse. We may take Jonah as an example of the dangers of doing things under such impulses. Now, we come across people almost daily who tell us, you know, I felt I must do this. I felt I must do that. I think the Lord's calling me to do this. I think the Lord's calling me to do that. And basically, if it's not in the Bible, then... It's an impulse. You know, if a guy says, well, I, I think the Lord's telling me to leave my wife. No, the Lord's not telling you that. That's an impulse, right? Impulses can be dangerous. People may do right under their power, but they will spoil what they do by doing it out of mere impulse, and not because the action was right in itself. An impulse may be very brave, yet wrong, right? Jonah was brave to go on this long journey but it was the wrong decision. An impulse may appear to be self-denying, yet wrong, right? It cost Jonah a lot of money and comfort to go on this long journey. An impulse may lay claim to freedom, yet be wrong. Jonah was free to go to Tarshish, right, under any other circumstances, but under this circumstance, he was running from the Lord, an impulse may lead someone to do something they would con 
condemning others? What would Jonah say to other prophets that were disobeying God? Right During this time, um, Hosanna and Amos were also uh, his contemporaries. So if he saw other prophets disobeying God, I'm sure he would tell them otherwise. Right? Many people take their inner impulse and say, the Lord told me to do this or that, which is very dangerous, even when it doesn't seem so immediately. Right? But have you to do with the devices and desires of your own hearts? Our hearts are wicked. Are these to be law to you? I pray you be not among the foolish ones who will be carried about with every wind or fancy or perversion. To the law and to the testimony should be your cry. And you may not appeal to inward movements and impulses. So Jonah has this impulse to leave, run away from the Lord, and go. So he paid the fare, paid his price, and it seemed easy enough. Perhaps even Jonah felt that the Lord provided the money for the fare. This shows the danger of being guided by circumstances as well. Word of the Lord is to be our guide, and we must not depart from it under pretext or or necessity or circumstances. It is very easy to make up our own providence when you want to do so. If you sit down and try to find the way of God to to you an excuse for the wrong which you mean to commit, the devil and our deceitful heart will soon conjure up a plea for providence. We can always find a way. We can always find an excuse. We can always justify our sin to, to better ourselves. But nevertheless, when we run away from the Lord, you never get where you are going, and you've always got to pay your own fare. Right? Just like Jonah. He wanted to go to Tarshish. He had to pay his own way. But when you go the Lord's way, you not only get to where you're going, but he pays the fare for you. Now, from the presence of the Lord, Jonah's trying to run. And as we talked about a little bit earlier, can we run from the Lord? No. Jonah should have read Psalms 139, 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. You can't escape the presence of God. Yet, sometimes we try. Just like Jonah, we try to run. All the while, the ship sailing smoothly over the sea, Jonah forgets about the Lord. You could not have disguised him any better amongst the heathen and the non-believers that were on board. So we're in verse 4. God sends a storm. God sends us storms still today, right? God doesn't send these storms to destroy us. He sends them to strengthen us. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. God sent out a great wind. Remember that the Lord stirred up the wind. We often think of Jesus calming the water, 
but which he can do that, but he can also stir up the storm as well. And what happens in life when we go through storms? We get through them, right? Why does God give us storms? Why does God bring these things to us? Why does God do bad things to good people? Well, he does it to strengthen us, right? He does it to encourage us. He does it to make us a witness to help others, right? God didn't want to destroy Jonah in the storm. God doesn't want to destroy you when you go through storms. He wants to get you where he wants you to be. The ship was about to break up. The ship and the sailors were in a dangerous place. This was all due to Jonah being on the ship. There was nothing wrong with the sailors being on the ship, but Jonah had no business being there. The Lord had a plan for Jonah. And the plan wasn't for him to be on that ship. That plan was for him to be on his way to Nineveh. Jonah might have wondered, I can go to Tarshish if I want, right? He's a free man. He can go there. He paid his fare. Yet he disobeyed the Lord. Which, you know, we, we do all the time. We're free to do that. But the Lord's going to send us storms. He's going to send us circumstances. He's going to do things for us to guide us back down the path that he wants us to go. Right? Jonah was made for this mission. Right? And he tried to run. Tried to flee. But the Lord knew that Jonah was the right person for this calling. Just like the Lord knows that you're the right person for the calling he has for you, right? Each one of you are designed special. Nobody is the same. God loves each and every one of you. You're perfect in his eyes. Just as Jonah was perfect in in the Lord's eyes, even as he's running away. So the sailors of the ship seek their gods, Verse 5 through 6. And the mariners were afraid, and, any, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the ship, had laid down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. So every man on the ship cried out to their God, lowercase g, right? There's only one true God. When in trouble, we do the best we can to fix the problem, right? Us as as men, as people, if there's a problem, we do everything we can to fix it. Usually our last resort is going to God, right? Even something as small as losing our keys, Right? We'll spend 20 minutes looking for those keys and not even think about praying about it. Um, there was a situation, I don't know, maybe a week and a half ago. Let's, let's just say the person I live with, they, they couldn't find their keys. And uh, so I, I tried to give them some advice, maybe where they left them. Um, but she didn't listen. You know, she she wanted to check other places. So I said, okay, okay, wife, I'll help you. I'm going to go in the other room. So I sat down. I said a quick prayer. Lord, please 
give me the strength to deal with this crazy woman right now and and help her find her keys, right? And so literally 20 seconds later, hey, I found him. Oh, great. Congratulations. You know, just just little things like that. But there's bigger things in our life that we try to fix as well, right? God seems to be our last option. And, and hopefully um, we can try to change that. Hopefully we, we start um, changing our mindset to think, hey, let's, let's go to God first and then have him fix the problem. Let the Lord do the heavy lifting, right? The Lord wants to do that. The Lord is there for us. He calls on us to call on him. And so... Um, us being men, we, we think we can fix everything, right? Um, and so that's what the sailors were trying to do. They got rid of all the stuff on the boat, right, to try to lighten the load. That didn't work. Now they're calling on their gods, lowercase g gods. Because um, they didn't know the true God, the God of the Bible. Many people assume that they can put off doing their business with God until they choose a better time to do so. I know people who think, oh, I'm too, I don't need God. I'll wait till I'm older. Then I'll, then I'll find the Lord. We're not guaranteed older, right? We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're guaranteed today. And so don't put off God. If you don't know God, find him today. You know, repent today. Find God today. So the captain... He noticed that someone's missing, uh, so he goes down to the bottom of the ship, and what does he find? He finds Jonah sleeping in the middle of the storm. And I, I kind of asked myself, well, how do you sleep in a crazy storm like this? Well, sometimes the storm inside of us is stronger than the storm that's going around outside of us. And I think that's what's going on here with Jonah. Is Jonah had a lot of internal stuff going on, right? He had been a prophet. He had had a wonderful relationship with the Lord. And all of a sudden, he just, without thinking, just totally abandoned the Lord and went the other way. And his internal battles were against God. And we all know that that doesn't turn out well. So we have all these non-believers, Gentile, heathen sailors on top of the ship praying to their God, and yet the only man who knew the true God was downstairs sleeping. And the reason he was downstairs sleeping because he's running away from God. And Jonah was asleep amidst all the, that confusion and noise. And yet he was the only man that could stop it. And so the nature of Jonah's sleep is also instructive and it's also too much like the sleep of careless christians and so i kind of came up with a little list of how jonah's sleep sometimes represents the sleepy christian so jonah slept in a place where he hoped no one would see him or disturb him sleepy christians like to hide out amongst the church Jonah slept in a place where he could not help with the work that needed to be done. Sleepy Christians stay away from the work of the Lord. Jonah slept while there was a prayer meeting up on the deck. 
Sleepy Christians don't like prayer meetings. Jonah slept and had no idea of the problems around him. Sleepy Christians don't know what is really going on. Jonah slept when he was in great danger. Sleepy Christians are in danger but don't know it. Jonah slept while the heathens needed him. Sleepy Christians snooze while the world needs their message and their testimony. Some sleeping Christians protest they are not sleeping at all. They say, hey, we talk about Jesus, yet you can talk in your sleep. They say, we have walked with Jesus, but you can walk in your sleep. They say, we have passion for Jesus, but you can cry in your sleep. We have joy and rejoice in Jesus, but you can laugh in your sleep. We think about Jesus all the time, but you can think while you're asleep. We call it dreaming. How do we know that we aren't asleep? What do you mean, what do I mean when I say being awake? Well, there's two or three things. First, we have to have a thorough consciousness of the reality that uh, the Lord is our Savior. And we have to treat Him as such. We also have to realize and not take advantage of our souls and where we're going to spend eternity. We have to realize that heaven and hell are a real fact and real places. And if we were to die today, where would we go? There's a scary chance, scary, I had a scary, scary time once. One time, I was in the hospital for a couple months. I was in a medical-induced coma. While I was in that coma, I heard the Lord speak. And he asked me, are you ready? And at that time, I wasn't saved. I knew there was a God. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. So I told the Lord, no, I'm not ready. Because if I were to died at that moment in that hospital, I'd have went to hell. And so I told the Lord, no, Lord, I can do better. And so the Lord gave me a second chance. And because of that second chance, I'm here today. I dedicated my life to the Lord after that day and every day after that. And so I just want to encourage you people, if you don't know the Lord, you don't know where your eternity lies, submit today. Go to the Lord. There's no, no question that heaven is real. There's no question that heaven is where you want to go. And there's no question that everybody does not make it to heaven. And so take this opportunity today and, and uh, find your home in heaven. Charles Spurgeon has a great quote, and it says, I want men of stern resolve, for no Christian is awake unless he steadily determines to serve his God. And so that's one way we can know that we're awake is that we're serving the Lord. So I want to encourage you guys, especially during this time of quarantine,
Open up your Bibles. Read the Word. Pray more, right? Get that relationship with Jesus because we're not promised tomorrow. And so, as we continue to go on, Jonah's down there sleeping, right? Captain says, arise, call on your God. The captain knew that his crew cried to their gods, but it did nothing. Maybe Jonah's God could do something in this crisis. It must have seemed ironic to Jonah that the sailors demanded that he called on his God. His only reason for even being on the ship was to escape his God. As we go on to Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, the sailors discovered that Jonah is the source of the trouble. So what do they say to one another? Come, let us cast lots that we may know from whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. Then Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? We have to keep in mind these were seasoned sailors. Their, profe- their profession was to sail, right? That's what they did. They took these long trips across the Mediterranean Sea. And all of a sudden they're in this huge storm like they've never seen. So bad that they call on their gods because this is such a su- supernatural storm. They're calling on everybody, everybody on the boat. doesn't matter if you're working on the boat or if you're just a passenger. They called everybody up. Get, get a hold of your God. Let's see what's really going on. And so when they found out it was Jonah's fault, they want to know, okay, what is the deal with this guy, right? Why is his God causing this huge storm against him right now? And so that's where Jonah's at. They know that he is the cause of this. So it's hard to know what motivated the sailors to think that the storm was sent because of one of them had wronged their God. Perhaps it was because of just the supernatural force of the storm, or maybe it was a spiritual power. Um, But the lot fell on Jonah. Once the lot fell on Jonah, the sailors wanted to know as much as they could from Jonah so they could discover a remedy to save their lives. So at this point, they're all scared, right? These seasoned sailors are scared for their lives. They want to do whatever they can to save their lives. And so they ask him, what's your occupation? Jonah says, well, I'm a prophet. That had the sailors even more scared, right? This guy knows God. He's on our boat. His God is creating this crazy storm. And so they want to know who he is and what he has done. So he says to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and made dry land. Then the men were extremely afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. So the sailors are wondering, okay, what's going on with this guy? What has he done to cause this storm and what is going to happen and what do we do to stop it right they found out that he worshiped the one and only true god and even these non-believers wanted to know why what did you do why are you here why is all this coming 
Even a non-believer who knows some truth about God can rarely rebuke a Christian who is resisting God. Why have you done this? Is the most logical question in the world, even for an unbeliever, to ask a believer. So as we move on to Jonah 11 through 16, Jonah, on his own request, asked to be thrown into the sea, and the sailors reluctantly agree. So the sailors know, okay, you're the problem of this storm. What are we going to do? You know, they say to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Before, therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleases you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. So what shall we do to you so that the sea can be calm? So the sailors know, okay, the reason this storm is here is because of you. So what do we do with you? Right? So everybody on the boat is looking at Jonah like, okay, what are we going to do with this guy? First thing they do is, okay, well, we're men, so we can fix the problem. Let's just start rowing, right? Well, they row, they row, they row. They go nowhere. It does nothing. Jonah says, well, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Which, you know, if you put yourself in the sailor's shoes, you're thinking, well, this is suicide. But... If his death saves all our lives, I guess that's what we're going to do, right? So they pick him up, they throw him into the, the sea. And what happens? The sea ceases from its raging. So as soon as they throw Jonah over, the sea begins to calm until it calms completely. Now that's got to be a crazy sight for, for everybody on the boat, including Jonah. Right, This huge historical storm, supernatural storm is going on. And then you toss this guy overboard and all of a sudden it stops. And it's so calm that Jonah can even witness them giving praise to the Lord. And so the sea ceases from its raging. The immediate end of the storm provided that Jonah's God proved that Jonah's God was for real, and that Jonah's resistance to that God was a real problem. In a logical response, the sailors feared the Lord exceedingly, sacrificed to God, and made promises to serve him. So the sailors moved from fearing the storm to fearing the Lord, just like the disciples did in the boat when Jesus calmed the storm. And so... During our storm, during our battle, we got to be careful on how us as Christians react and how those people around us see us. You know, we're all going to face storms. We're all going to face battles. But how are we going to face those battles? How are we going to deal with those battles? Are we going to damage everyone around us? 
Or are we going to jump in the water and rely on God to save us? Jonah was a witness for all those people that were on those ships. Before Jonah got on that ship, he may have been the only one that believed in the one true God. But once he was thrown off that ship, that entire boat believed in God. The same is with us. You know, we, we're going to go through storms. We're going to go through battles. We're going to go through tribulations. We're going to go through persecution. All, it, all that's in the Bible. It tells us it's going to happen. But how are we going to respond to that? Are we going to take it and be a witness from it? Or are we going to cause damage because of that? So I just want to encourage everybody to just keep in mind when you're going through that storm, you have people here that want to help you, right? There's brothers and sisters all around that will pray for you, will help you, will do whatever it takes to assist you through that storm. But we got to rely on God and God alone. So I just want to thank you guys for... For being with us, um, we didn't quite get through chapter one, but uh, fortunately, fortunately for me, I don't know about you, I will be back next Wednesday, and uh, we'll try to get through a little bit more. So I just thank you for joining in. Please, if you're going through a storm now, let us know. We'll pray for you. We'll help you, and uh, just depend on God. So let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I just thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. I thank you so much for your love and your mercy and, and just uh, your compassion towards us, Lord God. Just pray that you uh, continue to watch over and bless us, Lord. I just ask that you uh, give us patience and joy during this time of uh, quarantine, during this uh, uncertain time, Lord God. I just ask that uh, you just give us a desire for you. Help us to desire you above all else. Help us to just seek you, the one true God that will provide all our needs, gives us joy, gives us peace. You heal us. You do all these things, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, and I just uh, ask those that are watching us that uh, if they do feel lonely, if they do feel discouraged, they do feel afraid, to reach out. So many people have been uh, just great help during this time. There's so many people out there that want to bless others. So I just pray, Lord, that people will not be afraid. People will come and, and rely on you, Lord. So thank you for this time. Thank you for the crew that comes in to make this possible. Thank you for Tyler and his worship. Thank you for my wife and her support. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.